0: Is your organization a talent magnet? Is your culture the envy of the business market? Top organizations need top leaders. Make sure that you are that leader. This show will ensure that you are. Welcome to I Lead, The Leadership Connection with Dr. Linda Sharkey. Leaders today are more than just results, They are about creating legacies of great people, driving winning organizations, and raising the bar for themselves and that of their teams. Now, here is your host, Dr. Linda Sharkey.
1: Welcome. I'm Linda Sharkey, and I'm delighted to have you again on uh, my show today. We're going to be talking about a couple of things that I think are very important. Um, My co-author, Morag Barrett, is joining me today for this discussion. We're very fortunate. We were asked by Wiley Press, John Wiley Press, to write a new book, and we're in the throes of doing that. And we want to share with you some of the research, some of the findings that we've come across and have a dialogue around the factors that we see are going to be shaping the workplace of the future. So welcome, Marag. I'm so glad you're with us. Hi, Linda. I hope you're having a fabulous week. Good. I hope you are, too. (laughs) I am. I I tell you. So when we started out thinking about this book, The Future-Proof Workplace, we started looking at things like demographics, technology, globalization, all of which much has been written. And, you know, for me, um, that really isn't a new story. That's the story of the world. There's always been technology changes, however you define technology. There's always been new inventions that have transformed society and transformed human life, Uh, some in uh, slower, some in leaps and bounds. There's always been demographic shifts. You know, people, I was just in uh, Tahiti and Bora Bora, and, um, you know, people got to those places from other parts of the world centuries and centuries ago. Uh, Many people argue that the Vikings came to America many centuries ago before Christopher Columbus, and, and there was much more migration from South America to North America and North America back. So demographic shifts have always been there. Today, the real story is the speed with which change is happening, with which transformation is happening. Things are are so quick that people feel this intense topsy-turvy. They don't know which end is up. This has always been there, but not to the degree and in the, the intensity that is here today. So as Morag and I looked at these factors, we decided that the book is really not about that. You can pick up books about those factors all the time and everybody's talking about them the book is about what are the things that you need to pay attention to that are coming about as a result of those forces and I think that's the the compelling point Mirag, what are your thoughts here
2: no, I agree. I mean, if you think about it, we're in our fourth industrial revolution. And we know from the history books about the impact of the first and second revolutions based on steam power, based on mechanization and the impact that they've had. And the fourth re- revolution is all around the digitization the technology that you touched on. We see it. But what's ironic is that the way we structure organizations, the way we structure teams is still in the workplace set in the rules and norms established back in the 1800s in those first two revolutions. And they no longer match the needs of today's workforce or tomorrow's workforce for that matter.
1: Yeah, I think that that's really true. And I think that's what we're, we're talking about. And that's what we're seeing um, in, in that, that really need to change. And that's where people really need to focus if they are going to continue to thrive and survive. You know, there's only 61 companies that are on the New York Stock Exchange. 61% of the companies that were on the New York Stock Exchange five years ago are no longer on there. So that's a major disruption. CEOs in many industries, when surveyed, 76% believe that their industry or their company is going to be facing significant disruption in the next couple of years. So what do people really do about that? And what are the shifts that are happening? Morag, what what are your thoughts about some of those shifts?
2: Well, it's tough, and this is what I like about the book that you and I are writing, is that we're not trying to do the crystal ball prediction of what's going to happen in five or ten years' time. Um, I was reading some World Economic Forum data that was saying that 65% of children entering primary school or elementary school today will ultimately end up working in a completely new job that isn't even on our radar right now. And so I'm not in the business of crystal balls and predicting what is going to happen. What we're going to explore are the pragmatic things that need to be done right now. And I'll give you a simple example. I have many clients uh, that I'm working with through my consulting firm who talk about how they offer flexible working. But at the moment, flexible working isn't true flexible working. Yes, you can work from home or the coffee shop, but the company message is you don't have to come into the office nine till five, but you'd better be at your laptop, whether it's at home or in the coffee shop from nine to five. Well, that's not flexible working. Uh, when no. we look at the data and the gig economy, flexible working is if I want to do my job at 10 a.m. T- 10 a.m. or 10 p.m., it shouldn't matter so long as we're meeting our deliverables and getting the results in a timely fashion. And that's new, that's different, and it has huge implications for how we lead teams, how we develop teams, what technology does the company need to provide, what technology do I as the gig employee have to uh, provide in order to contribute to success and receive my paycheck in a new way for a new way of working.
1: Yeah, and I think in many ways, Marag, we are bound, as you say, by the industrial era, the most recent industrial era norms mm-hmm. where we created these bricks-and-mortar office buildings. We created structure, so much structure, policies, procedures that were geared around a much slower pace of work and that we're geared around a more centralized kind of working environment. And that's just not mm-hmm. going to be the way it is going forward. And many companies, some visionary companies, are already adapting some of that. You can go to Facebook and in in, um, in California, and you can begin to see communities. They organize their campus in a way that it's it's a working, living community. There's dry cleaners. There's different food stations, there's bikes everywhere, there's transportation everywhere, there's all sorts of services that people can get 24-7, um, no matter how they choose to work. All sorts of whiteboards, open spaces. It's like you've just walked into uh, a Disney set that's been created for for. uh a whole new world of work. It's, it's quite a fascinating experience. So, Murad, what, what else are you seeing out there?
2: Well, for me and, and the chapter I'm working on right now is all around how do we learn and grow And as the mother of three teenage boys, two of whom are about to go to university, again, I see an industry and an approach to learning that is still rooted in what was appropriate then, but maybe not as nimble and as responsive as we need going forward. The, the approach till now, Linda, you and I went through this. It was front-loaded learning. You go through elementary, middle um, and high school. You go to university, you get your four-year degree, and then you entered the workplace. And maybe you went on a corporate leadership program. Maybe you went and did an advanced degree. But for many people, the, the overt learning stops. Well, what I'm seeing is a sea change. I think that the time of a four-year degree for many roles is is gone or going. Instead, the approach will be with Google and everything else. It's the can I tap into the search engine at my fingertips? Can I get just-in-time knowledge and then sift between fact or fiction and apply that information to solve my immediate need? Less about the book learning, but more about my ability to know who do I ask or ask Google and get the answer. And it's right. bite-sized learning on demand.
1: What are your right. thoughts and, on that? Uh, I, I totally agree. And it's much less about memorization. I mean, we were taught rote learning memorization. I frankly bored me to tears. But we are at break, <laughs> and we're going to be talking more th- uh, more about this and some other trends that we see Uh, coming back. So stay with us. I'm talking to Marag Barrett, my co-author of Future Proof Workplace. An exciting book should be out in February next year.
0: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Dr. Linda Sharkey promotes fact-based solutions for global organizations and leaders that are known to drive business success. Do you want to put the wow in your talent practices? How about a spring in your leadership approaches? Coaching and leadership development are proven methods that, if done right, really do make good leaders great. If you want a no-nonsense, practical approach that will enable you to compete anywhere in the world with measurable results, contact Linda today. Visit LyndaSharky.com. Again, that's LyndaSharky.com.
1: Game-changing technologies and strategies are transformational, exciting, and disruptive for a reason. They shake up your status quo. They get you thinking about new ways to scale, compete, and grow. They move you in amazing new directions. You're invited to take your coffee break with Game Changers on Thursdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time for our special series on Think Big, Work Small with Game Changers, presented by SAP on the Voice America Business Channel. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network.
0: You are tuned in to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. To speak to Dr. Linda Sharkey or her guest, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or you can tweet the show at hashtag I Lead TLC. We'd also love to hear from you by email. The email address is radio at lindasharkey.com. Now... Back to I Lead the Leadership Connection.
1: Welcome back. I'm Linda Sharkey, your host of I Lead the Leadership Connection, and I'm talking to my co-author, Marag Barrett. Uh, we're writing a, a actually fascinating book on future-proof workplace, and we were talking about how what's going on is really going to change learning and development, and we were saying that children today have so much more access to information readily at their fingertips. They can Google, they can ask questions. They don't have to memorize the stuff that we used to have to, to do. You look at five-year-old kids today, they're doing stuff that 15-year-old kids couldn't do 20 and 25 years years ago. It's it's a fascinating and amazing situation and it's really going to change how we learn and develop the next generation of youth, but also how we develop leaders in our organizations. Murag, I know that's your uh, area. Say more about that.
2: Well, leadership development, I remember when I was in my banking career, This, I'm going to date myself and put myself into the late 80s, early 90s, and uh, the bank at that time owned a stately home in England, and you went for a week long of training, and they had huge curriculum, and it was all about the content, and it was big, blocks of content that was being delivered and facilitated at that time but here if we now fast forward after a 30-year career working globally working across industries what we're developing with our clients now is much more flexible learning that starts first not with the content that needs to be delivered but in fact the context in which it's going to be applied
1: So for many of my clients,
2: they've got uh, leadership teams, for example, or they've got project teams that are spread geographically around the world where they never come together in person. And the closest to a face-to-face meeting is using Google Hangouts or Skype. And so when you're having teams that are fluid, coming together at short notice, working virtually, the context changes around how do you deliver training, because we can't practice as easily face-to-face, because we're not in the same place, but it also then impacts the skills that we need to teach. And if I go back to um, my own education, and finance was my first career, um, soft skills, as they're described right now, really didn't enter onto the curricula. I remember being told, this is a business. It's not personal. Leave your emotions at the door. But what I'm reading, what I'm seeing, and what I'm hearing from my clients is that the soft skills are make or break for companies today and especially in the future. Emotional intelligence, people management, um, conflict management, critical thinking, It's the soft skills that make the hard results possible, especially when we're working across technology, across geographies, and across demographics.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's really true, and that leads to the next question. You know, we didn't emphasize Mm -hmm. soft soft skills as much in the 80s, 90s. That was kind of seen as weak. We didn't train around that. We didn't, Mm -hmm. you know, the the, the whole finance focus was shareholder value. And now, you know, Getting shareholder value uh, from organizations is much more complex. And you need to, as we're understanding, have people that have those soft skills because the hard skills are changing so fast. And unless you have those soft skills, that creativity, that willingness, curiosity, that ability to learn... That ability to ask questions, that ability to listen to others, that ability to explore, that ability to support other people as they grow and learn. Unless you have those, you're going to have an organization entrenched in uh, the bricks and mortar of the past. And this leads to another very big question, because a lot of companies have cultures that emanated from that industrial era, that emanated from that bricks and mortar era perspective. And to break those chains is very, very difficult. And if you want a culture that focuses on soft skills, and focuses on developing others and focuses on bringing out and empowering others, you need a different kind of culture. And you need a different kind of leader who is not uh, uh, scared to embrace other people's points of view, who is not scared to share power who is not scared to actually let go of power and unleash power uh, around the world with pods of teams as the as they create. And they pod act pod. more as absolutely they act more as coaches and as mentors to others. So
2: I'd love your reaction to that. Well I agree and I understand how we got here because again Me the too. initial industrial revolution you had a, a seed change in population moving from a farming background where traditionally uneducated couldn't read or write and there needed to be a command and control structure um, to make sure that results were delivered and to the extent they had health and safety back then, health and safety was observed because it's always bad PR if you injure your employees but right. now we have the we have an educated workforce who quickly can use their own initiative but when we're still doing and we see it now with all the news around performance management processes and performance reviews and giving people a grade that is so yesteryear. If we're going to treat our employees as informed educated adults give us a goal to go for and the measure is did we achieve it or not? You don't actually need to manage me minute by minute or... um, Give me the step by step route to get there. Instead, give me the general guidance, coach me if I'm new to it and it's the first time, but essentially let me run and results will speak for themselves. And it takes a very excuse me, secure leader, though, to do mm-hmm. that kind of thing.
1: And it takes a very open and collaborative culture. And I would it propose does. to you that many, many organizations have no idea what kind of culture they currently have. And the progressive organizations that I see today that are part of the groups that I'm working with, you're working with too, are organizations that are spending much more time thinking about, not only thinking about, but peeling back the onion, understanding the culture that they have and really reflecting on and acting upon the culture that they really need to have if they are going to embrace um the changes and the transformations that they're going to have to. Mm-hmm. So I think that well, that's a
2: big point. It is. And it's defining it's the, the language and framework to describe something that is intangible. But also there is a misunderstanding that culture is a thing, And for me, culture isn't a thing that you just get off the shelf, and it is. It is the result of the microcosm of every individual interaction relationship. It's a result of the behaviors and attitudes and approach role modeled at all levels of the organization, which brings us full circle to what we've been talking about, the soft skills around how do we lead, how do we grow, what do we value in the workplace, both as employees and as employers and as colleagues which goes back to the different design of the workplace that you mentioned from places like Facebook and Google that is more around creating an environment that is fun and engaging and somewhere people want to be, whereas in the past, work was somewhere you had to go to and life was the bit where you had fun. Now, it's not about work-life balance. It is all life. And how do we make sure it's fun and enabling us all to be the best we can and contribute at the best we can?
1: Yeah, and I think it's, it's, I I totally agree with that. And I think that that the other point in relationship to this is that people we are now learning uh, from all of our studies of the brain is that, you know, people were always creative and people Mm -hmm. always wanted to have fun at work and people always wanted to be goal-focused and always wanted to be in inspiring situations. But for some reason, we seemed to believe that people needed control. And if they so we weren't to do controlled three
2: piece suit.
1: <laughs> correct. I mean it and if, all if they, very buttoned down. Correct. And if there wasn't control, that somehow or another they would cheat, they wouldn't do what was necessary. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, so therefore we needed these these controlling perspectives. But what we're finding out quite the opposite, is that people will create uh, inspiring things. And they will go for really exciting goals, but they'll only do it in places that are exciting and engaging to them and provide them the respect and the freedom to do that. And so organizations that don't embrace that kind of concept are not going to get the best talent, don't you think? No.
2: I agree. And it goes back to, I have to feel connected to what the organization is doing. I need to have fun at work and enjoy the relationship I have with my colleagues. And this brings us full circle in terms of um, how we build those relationships and how we make people feel about the work experience. Otherwise, you're not going to attract or retain the talented employees who could quite easily go elsewhere. And we're seeing it with the younger generation now. If I don't get my needs met in this company, I'm going to leave and go somewhere else. We're seeing that portfolio a career versus join a company or join an industry and join them for life, which is what my grandparents expected, maybe even my father did to some extent. But for the Gen Xs, Gen Ys, the millennials, no, no if you aren't valuing me, if you aren't treating me and respecting me as an individual, if I'm not getting the development and growth and the challenge I'm looking for, then I'm just going to go somewhere else. And, you know, even, just to build on that, Marag, even
1: if you do provide those challenging environments for your employees and you do have a culture, today it's not realistic to expect that people are going to stay with you for years and years and years. So, You need to be thinking about how do I create these uh, alliances with people, these Mm -hmm. experiences, so that they come and learn the company gets what they need from the from, from the individuals and the individuals contribute and get what they need and it's a mutual benefit situation because they will move on at some point. They so will. we used to create organizations where oh we've got to lock people down. we've got to give them uh, you know all these uh, incentives to stay even though they may hate the job and may they, they may get better offers somewhere but we you know we want to keep them in, in lock and chains so to, so to speak. And we've got to change that mindset because that do do? is not I mean, going to that's that's not going to be the way it is going forward well,
2: people are going to be well, working some something like 60 to 70 years Oh, yes, indeed. I mean, if you think about it, we use things like the grindstone, we've got the Monday morning blues, it's drudgery, yep. it's toil, those are the synonyms for the world of work. And if we're going to have a hundred-year life, which for my children is real- realistic, then your mm-hmm. working life is not from 18 to 65. It may well be from 18 or your mid-20s until you're 80. We're talking about 60 years of active working life and even right. retirement changes. It isn't again front-loaded education go and work and retirement now what about the mid-career sabbatical where I go and learn new skills the mid-career retirement for a few years while I go and explore the planet but then come back and pick up and carry on working for much longer there are huge shifts And it's not just shifts that are coming, shifts that are here right now. that the companies that that are going to succeed are the ones who are paying attention and course-correcting today, not waiting until the inevitable um, workplace tsunami hits as the digital digital impact continues to accelerate and so on. The time for action is today, which again is why we're writing the book about the here and now, not the future crystal ball. Absolutely. And uh, the other thing that this
1: leads us into is another factor. You know, we used to talk about mission, vision, um, Mm. you know, values, but they were never really differentiators for companies, you know. they were posters on a wall, weren't they? They were were posted on a wall. Somehow or another, people got together and they decided, I mean, unfortunately, I met, led many of those discussions where, you know, you tried to get people to, to come up with really a crisp, vision and a crisp mission statement what do you do every day and people want to put in everything that they do and ultimately they have no meaning or they they they're just simply not differentiators but today what's really compelling for people and it goes back to this conversation is purpose our ability to mm-hmm. work on things that have real meaning it does not float people's boat to take an already existing process that probably is going to go away in five years and make it even better. What floats people's boats is having the opportunity to work on something that has meaning and purpose and makes a difference in people's yeah. lives. And that is what is going to be, I think, a compelling driver for the future. Okay. Many companies, as you said, have have uh, uh, moved into that direction.
2: Well, we're seeing it with the, the um, community projects that organizations are doing they're thinking about their social responsibility and the legacy that are leaving and changing their business practices as a result you've got factories that are no longer great gray uh, concrete monoliths but are taking local artists to paint the outside of the buildings to make them visually as appealing as you can with a big gray box concrete uh, building they're thinking about reclamation where they're in a part-time or you know 10 years taking natural resources it's how do we put things back to the best of our ability as they were before we arrived and how do we help influence the education and engagement of the community, not just employees, but those who are also working in and around each organization. It's a small seed change on that social responsibility, but I'm seeing that starting to get to the boardroom tables, to the senior leadership tables, and it is something that is starting to enter into the lexicon and the language of how we do business. Yeah, and I think it's even, you know, it goes, it's going to go a step, big
1: step further Even in that, it's making it to the boardrooms. We're at break. Stay with us. I'm talking to Marag Barrett. We're talking about our new book, Future-Proof Workplaces, the trends, frankly, that are upon us today that we all need to pay attention to.
0: Voice America Business Network the bottom line in business. Dr. Linda Sharkey promotes fact-based solutions for global organizations and leaders that are known to drive business success. Do you want to put the wow in your talent practices? How about a spring in your leadership approaches? Coaching and leadership development are proven methods that have done right really do make good leaders great if you want a no-nonsense practical approach that will enable you to compete anywhere in the world with measurable results contact linda today visit lindasharkey.com again that's lindasharkey.com become our friend on facebook post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. You are tuned in to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. To speak to Dr. Linda Sharkey or her guest, please call in to 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. Or you can tweet the show at hashtag ILEADTLC. We'd also love to hear from you by email. The email address is radio at lindasharkey.com. Now, Back to I Lead, the Leadership Connection.
1: You know, we were just talking, uh, Marag Barrett and, my, and myself are co-authors of a new Wiley book that we're going to be going to be out in the street in 2017 early. And uh, we were talking about the role of purpose and And how that's really social responsibility has now gotten into the boardrooms. And actually, there have been a lot of studies that those companies that have been socially responsible actually have done better from a shareholder value perspective uh, worldwide. But there's something else that's going on there, too. It's that people themselves want to work on something that is going to make a difference in other people's lives. They want to solve big problems that we haven't been able to solve in the past like making sure that we have clean water around the world. And, you know, we have the technology today and the information and the algorithms to begin to understand some of this stuff. We have the technology to understand some of the deep-seated causes of cancer so that we can really change things. We can use technology to diagnose somebody in the far reaches of the world that might not Mm -hmm. have ever had uh, medical opportunity before. So those are the things that I think are instilled in the workers that are coming into work today that that makes them excited. And that's the value that companies can add as we're solving day-to-day sort of mundane problems for, for people like driving cars. gives people an opportunity to really focus on What can really matter in society going forward? What are your thoughts, Morag?
2: Well, it is. I mean, it's that ultimate metaphor of a butterfly flaps its wings and has an impact elsewhere on the planet. And we can see that ripple effect, even if you just think about it, in the news that we see. Unfortunately, it seems to be the bad news that gets round faster than the good news. But when we start thinking about industries and jobs and the problems we're solving, it's the how do you get power... The middle of Africa and the work that's happening around solar panels, but it's also changing industries and jobs. I mean, you go back a few years, and the idea of being a car mechanic was a blue collar role, um, steady work because cars need fixing, and certainly cars today, I'm not touching it and getting under the hood. I did when I was younger, but I had simpler cars in those days. But being a mechanic of the future. As we start watching the evolving um, self-driving car, a mechanic is both the mechanical piece because cars are still going to have engines; they're still going to need to be fixed. so they might be battery-powered engines, but it's also a car mechanic is actually the car software engineer who has right. to maintain and update right. the self-driving technology. It's huge. You're going to have essentially traditional blue collar workers working alongside the the new emerging industries to provide new solutions new services to the, those of us who are now consumers of the sharing economy it's exciting and terrifying all at the same time it is it's exciting and it's and it's terrifying and you know, there are always
1: going to be those people that embrace that excitement, that really push it forward. And those are the real pioneers, and they've always been there. I mean, society and the world has always <laughs> had those people. And then there's always been those people that, you know, woe is me, what's going to happen? And every time you bury your head in the sand, you lose. We had
2: the Luddites in the industrial revolution who were throwing their cogs into the spinning jennies in the works. I remember my mother struggling with the TV remote. I've now reached that point, what with the Bluetooth and the three or four remotes that we have. I was a late adopter to the mobile phone. I was the, well, why would I need it? If I'm out, I'm busy, so I don't want to talk to you. And yet all of us, rely, as do I, on the mobile phone. It's not a mobile phone anymore. It's my camera. It's my computer. It's the access to the cloud where I have all of my um, company documents. It is anything and everything I need it to be in that moment in my hand. And it's only going to get even more ingrained in how we do business, how we live our lives, how we order our coffee and how we communicate. It's changing how we live. Yes,
1: and I, I do. It's, it's very interesting that you say that about the Luddites. I see today people, uh, you know, even today, people who didn't weren't reared on technology like the millennials are, and, and their children are clearly going to be mm-hmm. even more so, that just don't want to embrace the technology at all. I mean, they still want to keep their paper calendars, and they still want to, you know, use their landline phones, and, you know, still want to use the hard yellow pages these things are just not going to be here and in- Five years.
2: And we're in that bridging generation. We're in that bridging zone. I mean, the irony of you and I writing a hardback book is not lost on me when we have self publishing and digital books. But there is still something around, for me, being able to curl up and hold and touch the page. But if I think of publishing as an industry and several publishing houses who are clients, the idea of a book on the shelf is going full circle. When the printing press was first invented, it was. Uh, vilified in some areas, people burnt them, but having a book was a luxury item that only the rich and the few could have. Now everybody can access, wherever you are, if you've got access to the internet, you can access a book and maybe having a hard copy book on the shelf in the next 10, 15, 20, 50 years may again be perceived as that luxury status symbol because why would I need it when we've got all of the di- Library of Congress digital access to data at our fingertips. Right, yeah, I think that's really true. I
1: do think uh, you know it, it is funny. We are writing a paper book, but the good news is it's going to be out in digital copy and oh, and yeah. uh, access, <laughs> accessible uh, to many uh, uh, technological mediums, which is which is a uh, uh, good news. But I still like signed copies of books. That makes me exactly. feel excited, you know. So, yeah. you know, the other thing that I, I, I see, you know, we all struggled with this notion of diversity. And, uh, you know, it was a big deal in the 70s, 80s, you know, quotas, uh, making sure you had so many people. I, I, I'll never forget, I was working for one company, I won't use its name, um, and, the, and the big deal was um, you know, you have to have so many minorities on your payroll because you were government contracted and all of that, and they were able to have a lot of minorities on the payroll. It just happened to be in secretarial pools and low-level blue-collar uh, jobs or uh, sanitation or uh, mm-hmm. superintendent kind of mechanic kind of jobs, which you rightly point out are going to become more and more sophisticated uh, mm-hmm. through through technology, but you know, none of the professional jobs were were with uh, women or or minorities. And and then, you know, the tides changed and, oh, we have to get more women and we have to get more men. And then you started thinking about that. We put in place flex time, which you talked about. We put in place, um, you know, leave for men for maternity leave. We put in place shared jobs. We put in place... um, you know, daycare centers, mm-hmm. we put in place all sorts of things to, to help move the needle from a diversity perspective. And now we're realizing that that only moved the needle a very small degree. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it, 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 over 30 years, we've only increased the number of women in, in senior roles by something like 17% over 30 years. If you had an investment that this did that over 30 years, you would not be very happy. Um, no. and, and and so then peeling back the onion, I think we're finally getting to see that we are wired in a way and we have a context where there is a lot of unconscious bias and that we didn't realize that before. You know, we have a stereotype bias where people will talk, you're not any good at this. So, you know, women can't do this. Men can do this. And you learn to understand and believe that tape. work. Uh, what? Quickly, Mirag. We're going to talk about this again right after break, but we're coming up on break shortly.
2: We'll... Um, I agree, uh, but I think technology might be our salvation here, and we can talk more about that after the break.
0: comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network dr linda sharkey promotes fact-based solutions for global organizations and leaders that are known to drive business success do you want to put the wow in your talent practices how about a spring in your leadership approaches coaching and leadership development are proven methods that have done right really do make good leaders great if you want a no-nonsense practical approach that will enable you to compete anywhere in the world with measurable results contact linda today visit lindasharkey.com again that's lindasharkey.com
1: the voice america live events page is here now to showcase your corporate individual or organization's live event Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or a single day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417, 64, or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com.
0: Listen for exclusive clips from Oprah's upcoming Super Soul Sunday series on Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Seventh Wave channel. Then be sure to watch Oprah's Super Soul Sunday on Own Network TV at 11 a.m., 10 Central every Sunday. You are tuned in to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. To speak to Dr. Linda Sharkey or her guest, please call in to 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 472 5790. Or you can tweet the show at hashtag ILEADTLC. We'd also love to hear from you by email. The email address is radio at lindasharkey.com. Now, back to i lead the leadership connection
1: welcome back nice talking with you mirag we were just talking about the whole notion of diversity and how that is really shifting in in this new world because diversity is here it's we have always been a diverse world it's just that now uh, with technology with demographic shifts and globalization diversity is something that is part of everything that we do. So we have a question that's come in from the audience, and I'm going to throw it to you, uh, Morag, first. How do you tap into that unconscious bias to begin to break those chains of how we used to think about diversity?
2: Wow, I mean, it, that, that is such a big question. I know you're the expert in this piece. And and it it makes my head hurt as I think about it, because I think about my own biases that I must have. And the overt ones are easy. I like dark chocolate and of milk chocolate, but it's the unconscious ones. How do you surface those in a way where even in a training workshop, when we're talking about it, is the facilitator not leading you down a path that may or may not exist, but there have been many examples, for example, a joke around uh, an accident and the doctor operates on the, the patient and so on and so on. And the unconscious bias is that for most people, when they hear that joke, they assume that the doctor and the surgeon is male. And it's the, how do you uncover why those stereotypes exist? But more importantly, put in checks and balances individually and collectively that allow us to open up that is the surgeon. And the surgeon could be male, female, or as we're seeing in the press, somebody who associates with something completely different. And it's a new language and a new way of thinking that is... um, starting to take to the floor but we need to accelerate that conversation if we're going to start breaking down those traditional barriers of in my case being told oh you're too young to be an assistant manager or women don't lead in this area or you can't because well for all of us we can because we just need to be able to unleash that potential and that mindset across the board Right. And, you know, it's so interesting just to to build
1: on that, that, uh, you know, when I first started in in the workplace, I was told women can't be in sales jobs because, well, you know, women really can't travel and, you know, we'll have problems with male and female salespeople together. You know, that's not going to work. And, you know, it is that there is that negative stereotype that people get told they can't do things and then at some point they start believing that they can't. But here's the good news, and this is why this is really connected for me with uh, brain-based research, is because we're beginning to understand that the brain can be reframed, that you can change those thinking patterns and those synapses by surfacing what those deep-down beliefs really are and beginning to identify how you can change that belief to move forward. There's a great exercise that, you know, you throw somebody who's been told, oh, you you can't really catch a ball or you really can't uh, know how to play Mm -hmm. catch. You're just really not any good at it. And you keep throwing them a ball and they can't catch. But then you take an orange and you throw them an orange and you say, I want you to concentrate on that dimple, that navel part of that orange, just concentrate on that. And you keep throwing them the orange and all of a sudden they're catching the orange every time because they stopped thinking that they can't catch, they absolutely can catch. They just believed that they couldn't do it. And I think honestly that's where we have to really get is a place where we the the Harvard has a wonderful new test that's that tests for certain biases and helps people really oh. uncover them. And have honest, honest conversations about it. And that's really where we need to get. And it goes then to your point, which I think is so important, is that the workplace is about relationships. And if you can Mm -hmm. uncover your biases that you have about others and really be honest about it and start to build a relationship and have a conversation about values, you begin to find out... That no matter who someone is, assuming that they are not psychotic and they're mentally stable, that they have very similar values and very similar wants and needs as everyone else. And that begins to level the playing field.
2: It does. I mean, I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier about the world of work is that we all want to do the best job we can, whatever that job might be. We want to feel connected to something that's bigger than just us. That's the relationships piece. And we want to feel like we're leaving a legacy and a contribution, whether that's to our community or to the planet or whatever, that will last beyond the day job that we do. And if we can respond to those three things, that makes the future of the future work today even
1: more powerful and enjoyable. Yes, and I would argue, and I know you agree with this, Marek, that you must pay attention to those things. Because if you don't pay attention to those things, you will not be here in five years. And I think companies that and leaders in particular, because I, I I also think that the framework of companies is going to change dramatically. There are going to be much more relationships and. Uh, uh, Boundary crossing among organizations so that people can collaborate across organizations. It's going to be much more bleeding and sharing of knowledge and information. So I I think that the big challenge is going to be how do we really break those chains and start embracing some of these concepts that are more than concepts. I love the phrase that you use. Some are whispers today and some are loud roars. And you've got to look at today and start building for tomorrow. And if you don't, there's not going to be a tomorrow.
2: No, it's been a fabulous conversation, Linda. uh, I can't wait to share the insights from all the research, the interviews, and the data that we've been collecting around this topic. There's more than we can fit into our book, but we've picked out the six areas that have resonated for us and we're hearing regularly from our clients are either a pain point or a competitive differentiator, whether we're talking about company differentiation or individual career differentiation. Absolutely. Well, this was a great conversation
1: and we are going to keep our listening audience uh, up to date. We're going to be asking you for, to, to stay involved in our book. Uh, we're very excited about this book. We think it's really going to be a purposeful contribution to the world of work, which is why we're putting so much of our energy into it. And I think we we both have an incredible amount of experience and a incredible client and relationship base with people that we've just learned so much from that, that's helped us put this into the context of what we all need to think about in order to build great and continue to build great workplaces. I am going to be taking a hiatus from, uh, I lead the leadership connection for the next month because we are fast and furious continuing to write, uh, our chapters and our book. Um, so I will be back in September at the same time slot. I think we're going to be running some, uh, classics from the I lead leadership connection, uh, for you for the month of August, but, Morag and I are going to be really delving more deeply, and we're going to be sharing some of the additional lessons learned and insights uh, in September as we resume our discussions with some of the terrific people we've had the great fortune to to interview and talk to. And if you haven't listened to last week's show with Josh Burson, I encourage you to do that, and also with Eric Schurenberger, the uh, editor-in-chief of Inc., magazine we had a great conversation. Mirag as always it's just such a pleasure talking with you. I'm so excited to work with you and to really be a partner and what what I think is going to be a great contribution. Thanks Linda, look forward to seeing you soon. Okay. Thanks everybody and stay with I lead the leadership connection and I'll personally be back with you in September.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's edition of I Lead, The Leadership Connection. Please join Dr. Linda Sharkey again for another show next Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a successful week.